I'm talking today with Justin Elangian, CPA. He's a partner in assurance services at Aprio, which is a top 50 accounting firm in the United States. And Justin is a nationally recognized PPP, Paycheck Protection Program expert, who has conducted over 100 PPP loan forgiveness educational webinars, reaching over 300,000 PPP borrowers and hundreds of CPA firms through strategic partnerships. Justin, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, Blake, thanks for having me and uh, look forward to talking a little bit about PPP and, and how we got where we are. So did you ever expect when you started talking about PPP that you would still be doing it in December of 2020, possibly going into 2021? The answer is no. We started this right when the CARES Act first came out and and we were so confident in this eight-week period and how short-lived we thought this program would be that I remember joking with one of the other leaders of our PPP loan forgiveness team that was going out on paternity leave in June. And I said, well, that was very well-timed. You're going to get this thing started. <laughs> You're going to go and leave. And by the time you get back, all of our work will be done. And boy, was I wrong. I'm really happy to have you on the show today because so much is changing with the PPP. We've got this new legislation that is in Congress. Are they voting today on it? I think that's the idea, right? That's the idea. You know, we've heard a lot over over the course of this week. At one point, there was a lot of high hopes that uh, that this would get passed today. I think our, our expectations are tempered slightly, given that we've gone to the end of the week and haven't seen forward momentum. All that being said, all of our sources are still indicating that this is happening. I think there's a, a lot that we're seeing out in the media that says, hey, we're not going home until this is done. And so whether it's today or the course of the next week, it's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a when. So we're, what we're talking about is the Emergency Coronavirus Relief Act, the long-awaited second round of stimulus, close to a, a billion dollars of funds. And contained in this bipartisan bill is another chunk for PPP loans. We're going to have a second round of PPP, it looks like. Help our listeners understand what is available you know, what changes are happening? I know we've got changes with existing PPP loans, right? So maybe that would be a good place to start. Yeah, it sure is. You know, it's something that all borrowers need to pay some attention to. This actually changes the entire program, inclusive of those who receive funding up through this point in time. So let's start there, Blake. I think that is a good spot for us. For those who already have received PPP loans, what are the things to consider? What's the impact? That sounds great. First item of the list, and, and we kind of broke this down into what I like to call our top 10. Uh, the first item being additional expenses that are eligible for loan forgiveness. You know, with the number of businesses that simply couldn't use all the funds that may have been shut down for this extended period of time. And by the time they reopened, they just didn't have enough payroll or rent or utilities or interest to even use all of those funds within the allotted time frame that we like to call the covered period. And so these additional expenses change the landscape for a lot of businesses, certainly if you think about restaurants as a, as a prime example, where they now have operating expenditures, property damage costs, if you think back to some of the riots that had taken place mm -hmm. that were not covered by insurance, uh, different supplier costs and, and what they like to call worker protection expenditures. And that has to do with some of those plexiglass and other safety measures that businesses put in place. So that in and of itself is a really big deal when you think about those businesses who couldn't get there with the uh, allotted costs that were within the program previously. So this is for existing loans. 
I'm going to be able now to claim additional expenses I wasn't before. So if I've waited to apply for forgiveness, I'm 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 fortunate. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm working with a client right now who wasn't going to be able to have enough cost to get to full forgiveness. And they hadn't got to the stage of applying yet. And I said, hang tight. Let's watch this bill. Because if we go back now and look at all these other costs that we could be eligible costs for forgiveness, that actually changes the outcome of their PPP loan. And so there's certainly some strategy and one to pay attention to depending on where each business is with their ability to spend. Got it. Well, let's keep going because we got a lot to cover. Sure. So one of the biggest items, I think this is probably what I like to call the fan favorite is tax implications. A lot of folks were concerned whether they were practitioners like myself or borrowers or other interested parties that said, hey, the forgiveness of a PPP loan is going to be exempt from income taxes. But therefore, the expenses being paid with those forgiven funds are not going to be deductible. That was challenging for businesses. If you think about the liquidity issues that that presents to small businesses across America, this is now I have a tax burden because if we reduce deductions, the tax burden is now rising. Fortunately, in this proposed legislation, that changes. So not only do we continue to keep this concept of the forgiveness being exempt from taxes, but the expenses will be deductible. And then further was a big issue for those that have flow through income. What it says is no increase in basis of the business shall be denied. And so that's an even bigger benefit for those that have flow through income for the respective owners. So this is a huge deal. I think this is one of the biggest components as you think about the impact to existing PPP loans. Yeah, because that would be a real problem, right? If you had spent all that PPP money, you zero out, let's say, you know, your potential forgiveness with your expenses, but now you're still going to owe a tax bill like that just never made sense to me. Didn't make sense to me either. And and really, when you think about some of the borrowers that we've spoken to over time that actually use those funds, right? When you go back to eight weeks and you think about the rules that they were making decisions off of at a point in time, and I've got clients that used millions of dollars paying individuals who weren't working, certainly within the intent of the program, right? That is what it was intended to do, support situations like that. And then now you're going to hit them with a tax burden for doing so. That was going to be really challenging for those businesses. So fortunately, if this passes, this will, will fix all of those items. To some, they think, hey, you know, isn't that double dipping? Certainly it can be perceived that way, but this fix would align with the intent of the Paycheck Protection Program, supporting small businesses and their ability to maintain their workforce. So we we love this one. Well, let's keep going to number three, uh, which I think might be the most popular for those of our listeners who are going to be filling out a lot of applications and who have been waiting to do so. How is that changing? So there's this concept now of simplified loan forgiveness applications. It's broken down based on loan size. Unfortunately, those borrowers, $2 million or greater, again, together with their affiliates, no relief provided there. But we kind of knew that that was coming in here with the level of scrutiny the SBA was going to place on loans of that size. What we have in this proposed bill now is for loans $150,000 or less, is this concept of submitting a one-page application, whether that's a form or done digitally, as we're seeing differences between lenders, with borrower certifications. That can shift the landscape quite a bit. And and we saw that so far 
with what's called the Form 3508S. What I like to refer to that as a simplified application. Currently, that's only available for loans $50,000 or less. The one that we don't know yet about this is, are there going to be documentation requirements? Mm. Currently, the, the Form 3508S, there are no calculations. It's a one-page form, but there's still documentation requirements to substantiate that there was enough eligible cost to achieve the requested forgiveness amount to be determined if that's exactly the route that the SBA will go with this item. But either way, simplified is always good, I think. And so for loans, $150,000 or less, one page form is what it looks like is coming, documentation to be determined. And then for those loans over $2 million, they're going to get audited most likely, right? So what's yes. going to look like? Yeah. And so those loans over $2 million, we have this concept of an audit. And that's going to dive into a variety of areas. A lot of that is unknown. And that's actually a component of this proposed bill. We know they're going to review the application for forgiveness. We know that there's this loan necessity questionnaire, the Form 3509 for for-profits or Form 3510 for not-for-profits. And with a late release of an FAQ by the SBA, there's also this documentation of economic uncertainty that can be done in narrative form. What's part of this, and which I love, and I think those that are advising small businesses with loans $2 million or greater will also appreciate, is that Congress has asked that the SBA put forth a written audit plan and what are the policies and procedures and how they will conduct their audits. Now, whether or not that gets made public to be determined, as we see things, there's a lot of things that leak out there in, in the outlets and, and uh, across America. This would be fantastic, both for advisors and the borrowers themselves, if they know the metrics that are coming and the nature in which the SBA will conduct those audits. So that's everything in the bill for the existing loans. Let's talk about the second round of funds, because we know that our clients are going to be asking about that. Can I get it? Do I qualify? What are the new requirements? First item is new allotment. The, the total figure is about $300 billion, but that includes certain types of processing fees, origination fees, things of that nature. So lendable dollars are $267.5 billion in PPP funds. It's worth noting that there's additional amounts, $13.5 billion also being provided for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, also funded by the SBA. And we've seen a lot of overlap in PPP borrowers and those that have received EIDL, either advances or loans. It's worth noting there's a different level of eligibility and requirements associated with this wave two funding, if you will. So as we originally saw that from an employee size limitation standpoint, it was 500 when we talked about round one. Now we're looking at the size limitation is 300 employees. But then there's this other concept that this second wave of funding is designed to support those businesses that were significantly impacted. And so there is a requirement that the business must have had a reduction in gross receipts of 30% or greater. And that reduction is based on a uh, quarterly analysis, 2020 as compared to 2019. And that would be for any individual quarter throughout 2020. It doesn't require any type of aggregation and saying if one quarter was good and one quarter was bad, that is not outlined within the eligibility requirements for PPP round two. Calculating loan amounts, simple as it relates to what we've already known. It's the same concept as how we calculated borrowing amounts the first time. The limitations are just different. So once again, 
this provides the opportunity to basically take two and a half months worth of the average payroll. And we saw this the first time for either the last 12 months through the application date or 2019. It's worth noting that was the same language used in round one. But I think what we saw from substantially all lenders across the country, they all just wanted to go to 2019. A lot easier to track, a lot easier to take filed documents to do the calculation. But note that there is an either or when calculating your loan amount, either the last 12 months of date of application or 2019. And again, it's two and a half months worth of that average payroll for those periods. The CAPS is now instead of it being $10 million is the maximum amount, the loan cannot exceed $2 million in round two. And then there's some other rules relating to affiliations and having multiple locations that could place some additional limitations. An item for the smaller businesses, and in this case, when we really fine tune that, that's those businesses with 10 employees or less as of February 15th of 2020. There's a specific allotment to make sure that those businesses get taken care of. So $25 billion of that 267 I mentioned earlier is set aside specifically for businesses with 10 employees or less. I think that's kind of just a checklist item. I certainly expect that we'll see more than $25 billion being allotted to businesses of that size. But this is to make sure that there's some more of a floor than it is a ceiling. The other item, we certainly saw this come about just because we saw a lot of changes in guidance coming forth when businesses were applying for round one amounts as rules were constantly changing. And maybe they didn't include partner compensation in that first request. And yes, they did have an ability to go back and request additional PPP round one funds, but it was only if their loan hadn't made it to a certain point throughout the process. They can now go back and request an increase for things like partner compensation or rules relating to seasonal employers that they didn't take advantage of because the rules hadn't been published when they first applied. So that is a fix that you can accompany round two funding, as well as one our associations certainly love. Not-for-profit organizations, we were limited as to which not-for-profit organizations could apply and be eligible in round one. Now our 501c6 is our membership associations. There's a variety of country clubs as well that may fall into this bucket. They can now apply for round two funding if this bill passes. Size standards are a little bit different. It's capped at 150 employees as opposed to 300. And there's some limitations surrounding lobbying activities for those businesses. This is super helpful. Thank you for allowing me to get a big picture of really all the details I need to know as a practitioner for what is happening with this this bill. Uh, and I want to point our listeners to your excellent blog post on the aprio.com blog. Go ahead and go to Google and search for the top 10 PPP changes in the pending Bipartisan Emergency COVID Relief Act of 2020. You'll also find the link in our show notes, and it's got those uh, top 10 things that are changing right there laid out for you. So you can go and and review that and make sure you are uh, giving the right information to your clients. Justin, before we go, I wanted to ask you a bit about the workings of the firm. Like, I'm, I'm so impressed by how Aprio jumped on PPP and started sending out email newsletters just so frequently. Like, if I were a client, I, I would be getting all this information up to date. And meanwhile, you've got other firms where it's like silence, right? And so I, I'm wondering about, you know, what was the thinking when this whole thing started happening, when COVID started happening and the PPP developed? How did you guys decide to create this team, which you co-chair, 
right? You're co-leading this PPP team. What, what, how did it work in your firm um, to go and do this so quickly? You know, it's interesting. It really goes back to our approach in working with clients as a firm. Our, our, our kind of motto here at Abrio is passionate for what's next. And it was that thought process that got us into the Paycheck Protection Program to begin with. As the pandemic was sweeping the country in, in March primarily is where it impacted most of our clients. Immediately, we started looking for liquidity solutions to help those businesses continue to maintain and be financially sustainable. And naturally, we followed the CARES Act with all the implications it may be. And so that kind of married the two together right there on March 27th. And instantly, we knew that we needed to find a way to keep our clients sometimes in business, keep individuals employed. And so we continued to dive deeper into the Paycheck Protection Program and immediately spin up a practice to assist with uh, obtaining PPP loans, applying for them. And then once we continue to follow this, as it continued to move forward, we said, well, you can't stop here. We have to get them to forgiveness now, make sure they maintain the right strategies, the reporting requirements, and check all the boxes to make sure that they not only can spend the money, but they keep the money and have the ability to maintain compliance. That really just continued. We knew we had to put it out there to our network. We reached out to those other advisors that we work closely with, and we just kind of continued down that path of spreading the awareness. And it goes through a lot of what we do in other areas with our firm, which is not only supporting clients of ours, but supporting others that are serving similar types of clients. And so, as you mentioned uh, earlier, when you introduced me, we said in hundreds of CPA firms have been participants in our webinars. And we do a lot of support for other CPA firms or other accountants or advisors Understanding that they may not have the resources that are necessary, but their clients need this level of support. And so we're providing education both to the borrowers, we're providing it to lenders, but other advisors that are supporting those businesses in a, in a kind of a, a nationwide effort to maintain this workforce, supporting small businesses in various facets. And we've just simply never stopped. And one thing's led to another. And, and even our, our, our clients for PPP will tell you. Not only do we have these emails, every week we send out an email of what's going on with PPP this week, because we've got to keep them informed with all the latest changes. Were you a webinar star before all this started? Uh, I think I presented on two webinars before March. And, and now, and here and we now are. over 100. Right? And now over 100 as we're going to close yeah. out the year. And it doesn't look like that'll be slowing down anytime soon. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise with our listeners. And you mentioned that Aprio partners with other uh, CPA firms, other accounting firms. I mean, you even partner with a bank to provide PPP information. Uh, if people do want to touch base with you uh, and Aprio, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So as uh, Blake mentioned, one of our blog posts, and that's a great way to find our information. So if you go to Aprio.com, A-P-R-I-O.com backslash COVID. That'll give you access not only to Paycheck Protection Program updates, but all of our updates to help navigate the discussions with your clients, the circumstances that they're facing. We've got webinars, we've got posts, and that's also where you can contact both our PBP loan forgiveness team, including myself, as well as other practice leaders, depending on the nature of the ask. Again, that's aprio.com backslash COVID. Thanks, Justin. Great having you on the show. Thanks, Blake. And it's a pleasure.